the incomparable. Number 488, November 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode of The Incomparable, I'm uh, reconvening our book club because books are nice. They're uh, things you read. Uh, you may not have heard of them, but we talk about them here sometimes. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about an excellent, excellent book. I'm g- giving it away here, but I enjoyed it a lot. This is How You Lose the Time War by Amal el Motar and Max Gladstone. And it is a novella, so it's not that long, which means, hey people who don't read a lot. You could read this because it's not that long and it's very beautiful. Here to talk about it with uh, me are the following wonderful members of our book club, Aline Sims. Hello. Hi. Uh, you said it was excellent and beautiful, so I think that's a podcast. Yep. That wraps it up. Yep. Goodbye. Uh, okay. Goodbye. <laughs> David J. Lore, thanks for being here. Thank I. I mean, I had to come from another dimension to do it, but mm. yeah, I'm always happy. Let's go back up thread now. Eric Ensign. Hello. Thank you. Hello, goodbye, hello. Uh, hello, and goodbye, and hello again. The Time War, not about Doctor Who, just to be clear. No. <laughs> not about Doctor Who. Um, although I thought about Doctor Who while I was reading it, but in a different way. And uh, look who's here. It's Mr. Book Club himself, Scott McNulty. <laughs> well, 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 Scott McNulty. Fancy meeting you here. Hello. It's good, hello. It's hello. good to see you. <laughs> it's good to be somewhere. Her on a podcast. That's where we yes. are. In time and space. Oh. Oh, yes. So uh, I think, actually, wasn't it Scott who said, hey, we could read this book? I really liked it. I think I'm going to blame this one on Scott. You should, because uh, I, in fact, suggested it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the moment that Scott suggested it on Slack, I was actually reading it on like on my computer. So I saw the Slack notification and was like, <laughs> what? And, and I think I, I was going, I yes, yes, yes. Scott knows what you're reading. I know it all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually kind of okay with that, to it's, be honest. It feels like that's part of his bailiwick, honestly, yep. knowing what we're reading. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, it's true. That was about right. Mm-hmm. So, so this is How You Lose the Time War, uh, just published this year, I think. Um, look for it on awards shortlist next year, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I uh, uh, So... It is a, I was trying to explain to my wife uh, how this book is structured, and I've seen it referred to as an epistolary novel, right? It's letters, but it's not quite. Um, right, it's not. And the structure is really interesting because the structure, is, so there, there are two characters, red and blue. Those are the characters. And the structure of the book is a, uh, a chapter where things happen with featuring red, followed by a letter from blue followed by a chapter where things happen featuring blue followed by a letter of red and then it continues going like that so you alternate characters and their letters which are left in all sorts of wild science fictional places to one another over the course of the novel they are on opposite sides of a a a war for control of the multiverse that is raging across all of time from the early days to the far future, and um, they ha- their relationship is building over time into a very serious relationship of uh, love of two as as close as two people can be without ever basically ever being near each other because they're just leaving each other messages under rocks or inside frogs or whatever else. And that is or trees or trees, sure, whatever. Yeah. I mean, whatever is handy. This is how you lose. The time war. That's what it's. That's what it's all about. So even though it's not quite all letters, letters are a major part of it. Um, 
And uh, yeah, let, let's. I, I don't even know how to start with this, so let's just uh, let's go around. Scott, why did you why did you recommend this? What what struck you about it that made you think this is one we should all uh, get on board? Well, I thought that it was short, so that was good. Yep, we love uh, it. And and I feel like I don't know if this is true or not, but at least for me, I feel like the novella as a form is having a bit of uh, a moment because I feel mm-hmm. like there are more and more kind of popular novellas. Uh, so I figured we should read one and talk about it. Why not? Uh, plus, I have two little babies, so something that's short <laughs> to talk about is not a bad thing. Uh, they're pretty short, so it all makes cool. sense. <laughs> Uh, and, and despite uh, other than the length that also i thought was just very good uh i i enjoy time travel books i enjoy uh, and this is one of these books that you know as you read you remember that these people can travel in time and so it can change things that happen in the story right and so if you're a clever writer and these are both clever writers who wrote this book uh you can start the book in one way and then at the ending the start can have a very different meaning than it did when you started reading mm. it uh, which is fascinating uh, and I thought that you know they had a lot of fun with where they left the messages and you know you don't know much about the characters of Red and Blue but you also know a lot about them so I just found there were a lot of interesting things in this packed in this small novella yeah I think there must be something about the um I, I feel like ebooks are a reason why uh, novellas are more saleable now because you know yes. you're not you're not measuring books by weight when you're <laughs> shopping for them and uh and they, they're going to be different prices and different sizes and i think that's all good erica you were um you were reading this as scott uh scott's mm-hmm. book detector was fired off uh, <laughs> it's true how did you come to this uh, well, my, my full disclosure statement is that I actually know Amel. Um, I have not yet met her in person, but I, I still consider her a friend. We have worked together. We worked together on the uh, Uncanny Magazine podcast for a long time. She did the podcast with me and was just delightful and wonderful. And we have stayed online friends. So, of course, I was going to pick up this book. Uh, I I know nothing about Max Gladstone, so I'm only half biased when it comes to reading this book. Um, But so, yeah, so, of course, I was going to pick it up and give it a try. And and yeah, it is. This is one of those things where, you know how when we do the awards reading, at least two or three of us always say, oh, I'm so glad that we do this because these are books I would never have picked up and read otherwise. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have picked up this book and read it based on the descriptions, because while I like time travel, this book is very much like as I was reading it, I felt like I was reading something very poetic, a piece of art. And that's Mm -hmm. not... That is not my usual kind of thing that I am drawn to. Um, but so so I was I was definitely enjoying, I would say, like the good uh, the first half to two thirds of this book. I enjoyed it because it was beautiful, even just at a sentence level, like at a, at a, at a single word level. Sometimes it was just very beautiful. Uh, and then I got completely sucked into and swept up in the plot and what was happening with these characters. And oh my God, what what is what is going to happen? So uh, so it's the kind of thing that I probably wouldn't have picked up, and I'm so glad I did. So my <laughs> friendship with Amel has uh, has paid off in more ways than one. This book is one of them. Yeah, it is. It is beautifully written. That is one of the things that I noticed about it. Maybe there's something about that the novella format, like uh, every. Every sentence is a little more precious when it's 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 shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, beautifully constructed in both its formats too, because you know you have these these letters and then you have the the chapter, the chapters, and they're different and they are in, in different formats, which I, I think is good. David, how did you come to this? Did you take up our assignment, or uh, had you already been thinking about this? Oh, one? I 
I was I was aware of this before it even came out because of friends in the industry and seeing I mean the first time I saw the title I said, "Hey, what's that about?" cuz I'm into time travel. Go figure. And the more I read about it in advance, the more intrigued I was because, you know, it is short and and we're used to books, sci-fi books these days are you know, three, four, five hundred pages, six hundred pages, or they're part of a trilogy, or they're part of a tetralogy, mm. or, you know. And uh, the cover, just the cover art grabbed me when they released that. And I thought, okay, I want to know what this is about. And it wasn't at all what I was expecting, and it was better than what I was expecting, because exactly, it was it was not some giant saga. It was a very tightly focused story that uh it surprised me by the end and it's it's one of those stories it it really reminds me of harlan ellison at his best Hmm. right it sort of teaches you how to read it and how to follow it and it but it plunges you in right at the beginning and you really don't have any idea how they're going back and forth how they're communicating how they're able to do this and so it teaches you how to read it which I love. I love stories and books that do that. And uh, and then just it's so beautifully wrought. Just just every word, every sentence is it is poetic. I mean, that's there's no other way to describe it. Um, so it's not your slam bang Doctor Who Star Trek kind of sci fi, but it kind of is in the background. Right. Right. <laughs> um, you know. But it's like it's a story that we haven't really seen anywhere, and and I kind of like that. Yeah, uh, Aline, did were you uh, like me, uh, someone who was who just said, "Sure, I could, I could read that." You, yep. Scott said to read it, so we should read it. <laughs> yep. Short. My my nemesis, mm-hmm. my book nemesis, said to read it, and so I read it. <laughs> oh dear. And... <laughs> we should review what nemesis means. <laughs> <laughs> just the just the book kind, not okay, not wide sweeping. I mean, you do have a censor picking out what we're reading, so well, <laughs> true. let's not think about that too much. <laughs> so I um I was like, you know, sure, yeah, two hundred pages, I can do that. And I started with the audiobook, which I don't recommend because the format is not explained in any way. <laughs> It was confusing. Um, so I, I picked up the ebook and started reading it. And as everyone else has said, it it is it is poetic prose. It is um artfully stitched and woven the evolution of tone as as mm. these two people are writing to one another and their relationship evolves was interesting it made me think a lot about how in the present day without switching timelines and and moments in time um a lot of what we do is in writing to one another we're communicating in slack and twitter and over email uh, and we don't necessarily see people who we know and love face to face. And so I think it had a lot of extra resonance for me in that regard. Um, I will say my one gripe would be that sometimes it was almost too poetic and too beautiful in that I had a hard time parsing what was going on. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of that is because I read right before bed. So it's mm. not necessarily my cognitive best time. But there were moments where I was like, I I can't read this right now. I I do not understand. I don't know what's happening. And so I would put it down, uh, you know, and try again the next day. But I mean... That that is that is the worst I have to say about this book is just sometimes it was just a little bit too poetic, mm. a little too, I don't know, metaphorical or flowery or um, or something. And I was just like, I my brain cannot compute. Yeah, it, it's definitely not a like turn your brain off and read it kind of thing. You do need no. to you, you need to yeah. you need to focus. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is that it's short. And I th- I feel like that that is good, right? Like you wouldn't want to read 800 pages maybe of this so intensely, whereas a mm-hmm. book that's 800 pages long maybe is is uh, I, I wouldn't say it's hard to yep. read, but I, I feel like you do need to exert more brain power and you also kind of yep. want to treasure it and get get as much out of it yeah. as you can because you mm-hmm. know that it's very short and therefore every what well, we always said when i was doing um uh short story magazine back in the 90s what we always said was uh, every for short stories every sentence counted and the shorter it was the more spectacular it needed to be and i kind of felt that about this like this is a novella but it's got big ideas but in in being a couple hundred pages you're really sort of saying savor this because this is the kind of of book to be savored and not to be kind of torn through in an afternoon yeah and Aline, you put it really well. That's that's actually kind of the reason that I don't gravitate to books like this, because my sort of baseline mode of reading is to just like zip through and gorge myself. And this is the kind of sort of delicate and subtle meal that you really do need to savor. And, you know, like gorging yourself on this book is is not recommended i ended up reading it in like just just chapter by chapter and for me that's kind of a difficult thing to do because i don't want to read that way i want to just dive in and and this was this was i needed it in in smaller little more you know delicious bites that would slowly dissolve on the tongue of my brain i've taken this metaphor too far (laughs) (laughs) well it's like the the first time i read it i did it the same way just chapter by chapter i was reading another book at the same time so it was sort of like this this little appetizer as i was reading and then i found i was more interested in this book than the one i was reading at the same time and Mm -hmm. the second time i read it i just sort of read it more thoroughly all at once Mm -hmm. and it does reward a second reading it's oh, it's really interesting mm-hmm. to see just how intricately plotted it is, and uh, yeah. I I will say that that <laughs> toward the end of it, I felt like I was able to eat it in bigger bites. I'm sorry, yes. I can't stop. Right, <laughs> <laughs> it's one tasty book. It's just a big scoop of ice cream for your brain, brain tongue for your brain tongue. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But don't eat it too like fast. I, was, I felt like I had sort of marinated. Oh my God, I'm still doing it. <laughs> so uh, Scott brings up an interesting point, which is if you read it too fast, do you get a freeze. mouth freeze? <laughs> what happens then? I don't know. Your, your eyes, freeze. your mind grapes turn into ice wine. It's okay. great. All right. Oh boy. But I, I felt like somehow I had absorbed the, the type of poetic prose that I was reading. I had absorbed it into myself and into my mind. And I was, I was wow. able to pick it up faster like it just worked on um, my synapses right. had adjusted yep. so that I was able to get into it and 
And I definitely read the end of it faster, in part, like I said, because I was really excited by the plot and where it was going, but also because I felt like I had, like, you know, wiggled my way into understanding the the rhythms of the book, and and it really worked for me. Uh, uh, what what David said about it teaches you how to read it, like there is truth in that too. That that um, books that are a little more challenging at the beginning, I think the the great ones, you pick up velocity as you go because you're learning what mm-hmm. how it's communicating what it's communicating and that's you, you know right. it's it's kind of a beautiful moment when the book has trained you to follow what it's doing and then you're in harmony with it more and and that that first reread it was definitely like oh through about the first third of the book because it was like you're just picking up detail and picking up um ways they're communicating that you you didn't know mm. yet you didn't have it yet that last 10% just flew for me, yeah. you know, kind of mirroring Erica's ex, uh, experience. And I'm really, really looking forward to now that I understand the structure, I'm looking forward to listening to the audiobook because I'll, I'll get it mm. now. And it's only a four hour listen. Right. So it's like. And two narrators, know, can, which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of them is the same narrator who read the Nine Fox Gambit, which was interesting because I did, wasn't paying attention. I was like, I know that voice, but um <laughs> And it confuses very, me. Very different, very different, yeah, uh, different feel for this one. But I'm very, very much looking forward to that second reread. Let me take a brief break and tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Moo. Moo is an online print and design company specializing in customizable business cards, postcards, stickers, and more for your business. And if you're new to Moo, you can order a free sample pack on their website, moo.com, M-O-O.com. It's that simple. So you can see what their products look like and hold them in your hand. Did you know that Moo.com only uses three letters of the alphabet? Yeah, and a, there's a period in the middle because dot is dot. Anyway, Moo.com offers a full suite of products. They have business cards and postcards. They have invitations, letterheads, stickers, flyers, all things you can use to promote yourself and your brand. Send out thank yous to your customers, whatever you want. You can count on their quality. I have used their products. They are super good quality and they have special finishes. You can add like gold foil, silver foil, raised spot gloss, letterpress. All those little touches will make you stand out. And if you don't want to design your own card, there are new templates for business cards inspired by their most creative customers. They have luxurious hardcover books featuring a Swiss binding so every page lays flat. They're made with premium paper. There's so many things you can get. You got to check out Moo.com. Because they will make beautiful paper products, whether it's a book or a business card. And you can design it. You can use their designs. So many options. Go to Moo.com now. M-O-O dot C-O-M. Like I said, not very many keys on the keyboard. And use the code PRINTMOO, one word. You'll get 15% off orders of $50 or more. That's a great deal. Moo.com. Use code PRINTMOO for 15% off any order of $50 or more. Thank you to Moo for making my business cards and for sponsoring The Incomparable. I had one note about, I want to talk about the time travel a little bit more, but before we get into spoilers, I will fire off the spoiler horn here and tell people to, if you've got chapter skip, you can skip to the, the what are we reading part at the end, but you should go read this book because it's really good um, and, it, and it's short. But uh, I did want to say something about the time travel, which is just, um, I, I, I haven't consumed a lot of time travel fiction in, in book and movie and, and TV form over the years. I was not surprised by uh, some of the plot machinations that happen. I mean, there were a lot, sure. there were a few things in here that are right out of, I would say the, I'd call it the Stephen Moffat playbook. 
but it's also the time traveler's wife playbook. And like we've seen a bunch right. of variations of, well, if time travel is involved, then you can have little moments that are that are kind of twisty where part of the story turns on itself because it's time and time is relative. Um, but it is at the same time, it is a particular manifestation of it that I thought I hadn't. I hadn't quite seen before the way it puts together. And so I would say, even if you think that you've kind of seen it all when it comes to these kind of time travel stories, um, I, I don't know if you've seen this exactly. And if you're not somebody who loves the mechanics of time travel, I would say it doesn't matter because <laughs> in the end, um, although there's time travel in this, it is um, kind of, it's not in the background. It's the the whole plot of it, but <laughs> For the most part, that's not the point of it, I would say. Right. It doesn't doesn't spend any time explaining how the time yes. travel works and the rules and exactly. all of that, right? It's right. kind of like it's it's a vehicle to tell this story, uh, much like uh, what Station Eleven was set in a post-apocalyptic world, but that wasn't the point of that book, right. uh, which could right. anger some people. So if you're looking for a book that goes into the mechanics of time travel, this is not, <laughs> that, this is not this the one yeah, And both these characters are secret agent, time agent, time traveler people too. So it's also not one of those books where it's like you're following a traveler through time they're both traveling through time it's 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 like spies going to different countries and meeting each mm-hmm. other in fact i think that is the closest analog in all fiction to this book of all the fiction that i've read is that it's more mm-hmm. like you've got spies uh that go from international destination to international destination and always run into each other along the way that's more what it's like than um than you know a a what we think of as a traditional time travel story. Yes, it's spy so versus right. spy, but what if they fell in love? Red versus time. blue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've used the, the time travel playbook a lot. Um, I know the mechanics of how you make those things work and I've played with them and it's fun. And this just sort of says, you know that. Right. You already know time travel. Mm-hmm. That's not the plot. The time war isn't really the plot. It's, it's the relationship. And that's what makes this really special. Yeah. All right. I'm going to fire off the spoiler horn now and as, as advertised. And uh, you could skip to the part where we talk about other books if you don't want to hear us talk about it before you read. There are a few things that I, I think I want to spoil. So I want to I warn you now if uh, I think it would be OK if you kept listening. But, you know, if you want to be spoiler free, go ahead. I, I hear it off in the distance. There it comes. <laughs> on the other side of it now our old friend the spoiler horn it's like this fog bank just kind of blew right through in, right? and obscuring and us and all of our spoilers amazing um i want to talk about the time travel a little bit because um actually even though what we just said is true which is the <laughs> mechanics of it don't matter one of the things i love about this book is how is its yes. philosophy on time travel because it yes. both has a consistent and I think smart philosophy of of how a time war and how time travel would work in a way that like Doctor Who, bless, bless it, is like, you know, <laughs> Russell T. Davis is like, you know, the time war, whatever. Like, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing mm-hmm. and it happened and like, don't look too closely at it because it doesn't really make sense, right? Whereas this says... Here's how it makes sense, which is it's the multiverse and there are all these strands and it's a cold war in a way where there are lots of different permutations and the, and it's all about these threads that ravel and you can move up thread and down thread and there are key moments that they're trying. They play a long game in some circumstances and a very short game in others where they're trying to move pivotal moments. But I get the sense that it's more like a like a go game or something like that where they're all they're right. just competing for for geography and for surface area like they've got their 
their strands on both sides where they have complete control of the timeline. But in the middle, and- there's still there's still timelines to play for. And that's kind of what the war is all about. And that gets you out of the whole question of like, what if you change the past? What if you change the future? How does this work? It's like, no, all of those things are still happening. It's the canvas on which the story is told. And while it doesn't matter on one level, on another level, I found myself actually really loving the idea that it's all up thread, down thread, different realities in this. There are, there are several wonderful moments in this book where, where there's discussion of like, uh, all various parallels, like, well, in these worlds, and it's not just this one, but it's like in these <laughs> worlds, this person tends to occur and they, they have this album or they wrote this poetry or they did this book or whatever it is. And I, I loved all of that while also having it be, I was impressed how well it was structured that it's like, yes, we can do all of this. And your brain's never going to say, but wait a minute. Cause it's like, no, they're all, it's all there. And it's just it, right. for something that didn't matter on one level, I actually found it incredibly delightful that it was the backdrop. And one of the things that always, every movie you see, every, you know, Star Trek Four, Doctor Who, all these things where it's like, oh, oh, you, you broke that bottle and oh, it changed all of time. Right. And, you know, we have to be very careful. Don't change anything. And there was a moment early on, it's like in the first couple of chapters where uh, I just smiled because it's like, yeah, you were thinking of this person over here that you were going to intercept but you know we did this and oh and then you forget how much power a a breath on a snowbank can have to change things it's like why would a breath on a snowbank change anything but clearly in this in this reality it does i love that and, and and they just go with it yeah i'm a big believer in the butterfly effect thing like a lot of time travel stuff that i um that i read or watch I where it's sort of like, well, we made a change and now a hundred years later, everything is exactly the same except for a very slight thing. All the same people are there. <laughs> and it's like if you think about it, that's that wouldn't be how it would work. Like if you if you went right. back in time and stole a penny and then came back forward in time, none of the people would be the same. Like pe- it's well, it's like the, the old joke of let's go back and kill Hitler. And you go back and kill Hitler and you come back to the present day and they go, We told you to kill Schmendrick. Why didn't what did you yeah. do? Yeah, and and it's and it's somebody else, and it's just like, uh, so anyway, I I, I don't know uh, the whole up thread down thread thing. I thought was delightful. If anybody else has any thoughts about the time travel mechanics of this beautifully romantic book, I sorry, <laughs> I like, I really like it. Yeah, I like the multiverse aspect of it quite a bit. Um, like you said, just the, the things being similar, mentioning things that 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 are in our world except slightly different right. like that always gets me and just like how the time travel itself wasn't the point like the multiverse isn't the point either like all of that stuff is just incidental it's just you know a, a little bit of extra spice but it's not not the main course i can't stop talking about food <laughs> yeah, hungry, yeah. Are, are you hungry yeah i'm not <laughs> <laughs> i think it's also interesting to note the two what seem to be the two different approaches by the two different factions or the two different sides yeah like one of them see one of them does like this long slow change um it's blue right who gets these long haul you know she gets married and she has an impact on a community and she's there for years and she gets extracted whereas the things that we see about red are you know much much faster they're assassinations they're not the long term um 
things that Blue gets involved in, where she literally, literally figuratively roots in a community, like Mm -hmm. plants herself in a community. And Red is more of action and doing and going and in I don't know, frantic or frenetic or something. Well, yeah. And it's also like the nature, it's garden, right? Is like, mm-hmm. yeah. it's nature and it's all very holistic and all of these things. And you get the sense that the other side of, I forget what they're called. Um, but they're like fast and, and mechanical and, and mechanical and metallic and, and, uh, and assassinations here and all of that where, yeah, the other side is very much like, and because it's time travel mechanic, you can do this too, which is like, she spends decades as the as this woman in a native american village basically and it's like it's just you know sometimes when you're a spy you got the long you're like a sleeper agent and other times you're just you just drop in and you know kick somebody's plant over and then leave and that's it <laughs> like it, it's uh it's it they are a contrast right there again that gives you that um that uh, cold war feel too like these are not these are not just two sides that are not so different you and i right like they're no they're mm-hmm. like philosophically diametrically opposed to one another and it's sh- and it shows in their actions and that that puts the connection between the two characters in sharper relief do you guys feel that they were both sort of equally balanced in terms of like neither one is really right or did you feel did you come out of it feeling like like even despite the ending like that you sided with one side more than the other i don't mm-hmm. feel like we knew enough about what was happening really Right. Mm-hmm. We got the different approaches and the different philosophies and that both sides wanted to control everything, but we don't really know the why. I'm not sure it matters ultimately. Like mm-hmm. they're both futzing around with things and pretty um, <laughs> uh, complicated, yep. detrimental ways. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, because I, I came out of it sort of feeling like I identified a little bit more with Garden than with the agency, which is the other ah, side. Right. Um, but but I'm, I was kind of wondering, is that just more because of me as a person? Like I, I think of myself as someone who prefers nature to, you know, banks of computer screens and stuff for, for relaxation <laughs> or if the, the book actually uh, – is trying to lead you that way which i I don't think it is i do think it's more me so so hearing you say that aline sort of makes me think more nope it was me my reflection on this book as opposed to the other way around i think you could also make an argument that if you're if you're reading a book about two spies basically two agents that if all you know about them is their superiors and the orders they are given it's got to be almost impossible to differentiate one of them from the other in terms of of good and evil right i mean isn't that the lesson of so much right. cold war fiction and and <laughs> yeah. like john le Carre and and things like that where it's like you know the, the spies do the dirty work and the, what they're told to do even for the good guys quote unquote is not necessarily good i think what's interesting too is we end up going don't we end up going to garden at the end near mm-hmm. the end that's yeah. where they bust into yes and, and it's and and i thought that was interesting because it's not like a glorious paradise. I feel like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the, you know, and it's kind of threatening to red because red is the enemy. Um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I definitely felt like they were two sides of the same coin in a way, but you know, equal and opposite and not necessarily like two different points of view about how the world should be. It's kind of how I read it. I agree with you. I, I, I think that's uh, the part of the, 
point of the book is, uh, well, part of it is that, you know, they are both trying to do, they both are true believers until they aren't, right? And so that's the interesting uh, journey that we're going through. They both think they're doing the right thing until they realize, well, maybe in order for us to win, someone has to lose, hence the the name of the book, I assume. Uh, so, you know, and, and that's what makes, like you said, John Le Carre and all these spy uh, novels work is this sense that they kind of are in this ambiguous space. They don't really know why they're doing things, but they know, they trust that they're doing it for the greater good. Uh, and both sides are are trusting that their good is greater than the other side, right? So that makes it interesting. And then you add time travel, and it's even more interesting. So the the big spoilers, I suppose, since we fired off the spoiler horn, are the the two. There are like two time travel mechanics here that really come into play. One of which is uh, something that is familiar for people who've read a lot of time travel stories, which is there the that one of the characters is. Um, instrumental in kind of the origin story of the other character Mm -hmm. um which they don't know until it happens um or one of them doesn't know and then the the other one is that at the end of every other or every fourth chapter a uh a uh, a shadow a seeker uh is is tracking them and like scooping up evidence as you go um, and that is revealed toward the end. I mean, I initially thought that it was that they were being followed. And then about at some point during the story, I thought, oh, no, this is it's going to it's going to not be that it's going to be that this is one of them uh, yeah, I did down too. the road. But it took a while, which I liked. And I enjoyed that moment yeah. where I went, OK, OK, this is what you're doing now. But it's another nice use of it. So later, late in the book, we get that moment where in order to save blue, red travels back in time, right? And scoops up mm-hmm. all of these little pieces of uh, of their their letters and their relationship and all of that. Mm-hmm. To basically rebuild her personality from inside her, which I thought was a, a neat trick. I just, I loved the whole... All the language about, you know, in, you know, infecting one another, being part of one another and you know, becoming that bond between the two from the inside. That was that was, uh, uh, again, an interesting uh, an interesting way to see a relationship like this. <laughs> I feel like it's really difficult to talk about this book because I feel like whatever I say about it, I'm not doing justice to, <laughs> yeah. the, mm, to the, the way that it meal. unfolds and how, how beautiful it is. Uh, like by, by disassembling it and taking it apart and examining the pieces, which, you know, that's what you do in a podcast. Sure. But I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's almost disrespectful. <laughs> to, oh no. I feel horrible. To, to how beautiful, uh, to how beautiful all of the, uh, all of these fragments sort of hang together. And when you pull them apart, like it's so much more than the sum of its parts. So every time I think about one of its parts, I'm, I think about it then suddenly in the context of all of the other parts. And it's just like I, my brain gets lost going going down those strands. How, how about the letters section? Do you in, how do people feel about the letters? Because the letters do in some ways connect directly to what we've seen, but they also stand apart as these two characters um, who are so similar and yet so different, getting to know each other better. And, um, you know, it, it's something that it, it's amazing to see it ramp up, right? Because it starts out in there kind of like, 
kind of enemies or frenemies. And then it ends up being that there is an attachment and then there is more of an attachment and it's an emotional attachment and there's sort of like, no, I actually, I actually love you and I, we need to find a way to solve this. And then there's also this escalation of we're being followed, we're in danger. And, and it really culminates in a, um, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. No, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you <laughs> moment, which in one review on the internet that I read, the headline was, what if Romeo and Juliet were Terminators? <laughs> yeah. Well, and they talk about Romeo and Juliet. Mm. There, there are moments where the, Romeo and Juliet is referenced. And I was thinking about that as I, you know, toward the end when Blue eats, you know, the poison plant. And I was like, so she's Romeo, but she was poisoned by Juliet. Like, uh, so I thought it was interesting that they... I don't know. They kind of invoked that and then used it and twisted it a little to make it more interesting and maybe more contemporary. Yeah. And the and in terms of the evolution of the of the relationship through the letters, that it's not a it's not a format that you see a lot anymore, I guess. But um, uh, how how does everybody feel about like the the progression of this? I mean, we've got we've got immortal, not non human. But from humanity, question mark, maybe can take all sorts of different forms and be monsters or be people um, traveling throughout time and space and the multiverse. Um, but it is also like leaving little and leaving in like inside a bird or a, under a tree or whatever inside a tree uh, love letters to each other. Like that's the contrast of it. So how about how about the evolution of this relationship? I really liked uh, the freshness that I felt going back and forth between, you know, this is the action. These are things that are happening. And then here's a letter, um, which that was another way that it was kind of nice because it sort of slowed me down in the way that I was reading, because suddenly it's like, OK, reset the brain. This is this is something that's framed completely differently. And like and even the the language was was different when it was in a letter as opposed to when it was in the action. Uh, I appreciated how it how it actually felt different. The rhythms of it played out a little bit a little bit differently. So I think for me this that structure helped keep me going. Um, you know how when you're taking like a walk in the park and like you just want to see what's around the next corner and you just sort of keep keep going. Like that was I ended up stopping myself from going around each corner because I because it was so beautiful as we talked about before. I needed to to take it in in smaller little bits, but um, I, I felt like I, I always like those books where they kind of go back and forth from different points of view. But this added an extra layer, maybe even extra level of difficulty in terms of, of both writing and reading, because it's not just a different point of view. It's a different type of communication from somebody else's point of view before you go back to the action. And then the next one is that other type of communication, but it's from a different, different point of view. Mm -hmm. So I like <laughs> the fact that we were kind of bouncing around from all of those different things because it made it feel fresh every couple of pages. Right. And they were interesting in the context of what was happening in the other chapters, right? So you knew that yeah. the, the characters experienced those things and then they wrote these letters which weren't really letters in the book but they were they you know they were in various forms uh mm -hmm. that were translated somehow because they have powers that it doesn't matter right just read the book yeah. mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh that's the whole point uh but yeah i thought it was and it was really uh touching to watch as their their relationship evolved over time and i think that you know 
uh, I think maybe Erica or Aline said this earlier that, you know, we spend so much time communicating with our friends and loved ones with text nowadays that, uh, and it harkens back to the time when people would actually write letters. Uh, maybe some people still do that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's fun to see a relationship growing and evolving through, through text, um, since I, I am in a relationship that grew and evolved through text as well. So it was fun. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm a, I'm a time traveler. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> this book ends um, with, I mean, talking about Romeo and Juliet, but Terminators, there is this, like, they're going to get me. So um, the next message you get from me is going to be a trap. And if you read it, you're, it's going to poison you and you're going to die. So this is the last one that you can, you can, uh, you can read. Um, but they put another letter inside of that letter. She puts this like other letter that's like, no, 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 stop now, stop now, stop now. You're getting more poison. Stop now. And of course, what Blue reads decides that that she's going to read the letter, and that's like I'll show them. Like then then they'll get me and they won't get you. And that that that's my choice to make. Okay, so I'm thinking about Romeo and Juliet. It's been mentioned in the text. I haven't yet discovered that there's a reviewer who said what if Romeo and Juliet were Terminators which is still stuck with me um but uh but then there's the twist right which is um it it we we get red in prison basically like locked down and it's not going to be good for red and red's going to going to going to face her end and um then there the there is a prison guard who offers her a breakout and it's blue so you know it all it all ends up. They they end up uh, with this final little twist where they uh, they have cheated the both the powers that be and are going to going to run. And uh, I, I I like that because I I was sort of set up for the tragic ending and uh, mm-hmm. given it, you know it was telegraphed of like well you know no I sacrificed myself no I sacrificed myself and Romeo and Juliet that doesn't they don't keep one upping one another right like no <laughs> in the end. Uh, one of them is dead, and that's just really bad. Spoilers for Romeo and Juliet, by the way. <laughs> no! <laughs> the poisoning happens like it's Shakespearean times, too. Like the blue poisoning of blue actually happens right True. there. And I I liked that not only did it have a happy ending, but it didn't feel like a cheat. It felt like it was completely mm. earned because in order to come to that happy ending, both parties had to participate in really deep and interesting ways. Like they cooperated without necessarily knowing that the each one the other one was going to cooperate because you know it's it's a trust right trust is a huge part of this too because they are on opposite sides and toward the end there's that moment was like is this all a setup like is this was this all a trap by red to get blue or a trap by blue to get red and and in the end it's like almost like a prisoner's dilemma kind of thing where the only way it Mm -hmm. works is if they both truly trust each other um which they do yeah and then because blue trusted Red, Red is able to then eventually sort of figure out, wait a minute, there, here's these clues that, that Blue planted, and now I have to go back in time. Here's the time travel. And, you know, basically infect Blue with a little bit of this poison when she's younger so that she grows up with it. It's like, you know, Iocane powder. Like if you have a little mm-hmm. bit every day, then you're immune to it, right? And so by the end of it, they're, they're able to both live and escape 
and but it but they each did their part. So f- for me, it didn't feel like it was it was a cheat, but it did feel like it was a surprise because I too was expecting I expected them both to to either die or one of them to die and the other one to just be you know stuck in prison forever um, because you know poor Red was going to get caught. Yeah, it's a bit of a Doctor Who ending, but I feel like they earned it, right? Like it's you know, and I love Doctor Who, but it is a little bit of a mm-hmm. oh, but it turns out that you've been sending me the messages, which now I can read and I can go back and then I'll solve it and I'll do all these things and now you're fine. I'm like, okay, yeah, but but they yeah. earned it. So, it's right. like, so I'm fine with it. Yeah, and as David said, like the second read probably, there's probably a lot more places like I because I could remember back to some of the sort of hints as to what was coming but I bet there's a lot more in there that I would get if I read through it a second time. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, you know, the mechanics are there. They're fine. They're not important. It's great that they're there. It wouldn't work without them. But yeah, it's it's not like um, it's not like a Moffat puzzle, which I love Moffat puzzles, but I don't like them no, all the time. It's not a it's not a puzzle box. It is yeah. it is it, yeah. it, it is more like a uh, um, you know a, a Moffat thing, like an everybody lives kind of moment or something like that, where it's just like um, the you you pull the 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 drape off of the thing and you do the big reveal and it's like aha but all along the things that you thought weren't important actually are the solution to this problem and it's like oh great like yeah okay that's good it's a good it's a little more like a magic trick but it's not an intricate puzzle box yeah it's not a puzzle box it's more like just a braid like all of these things that are happening are braided together uh like a strand yeah (laughs) and it, it almost felt to me like the puzzle was on the outside and, you know, someone else is writing this big saga that's doing all these puzzles and wars and everything. And we're just really tightly focused on, on these two characters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of the world building in this is that you, this when I was raving about like the time travel stuff, it's like, I really love that. But the beauty of it is it holds together enough that it's in the background and you get the sense that there is this widescreen space opera time war thing happening in the background enough for you to like know it's back there but it's not about that and that's like good because it's not about that right it, it's that's mm-hmm. that's a totally different book in a different genre uh, that's got hundreds more pages and is a trilogy uh <laughs> part of three trilogies <laughs> right like it just keeps on <laughs> keeps on going it's like not this this is not that well yeah i'm so glad i read it it's beautiful um people should read it if you're still listening it's uh because it's really we can talk about what's in it but like the way it's done is the thing that I think is the best about it. It really is one of those things that it's not, it's not like, oh, well, that it, the plot takes you on a ride and where it deposits you, you're like, whoa, what a ride. And it's like, no, it's not what it's about. It's about the, it's about the words and the, and the, the emotions between the characters and all that. It's just, it's, it's, it's uh, really great. I liked it a lot. As much as we can spoil in the spoiler horn territory, it, you know, it just gives you a taste it doesn't it doesn't give you the language it doesn't give you the description it doesn't yeah. give you their personalities and how they write their letters mm-hmm. and i mean i've read a lot of epistolary novels i love when they're done really well and this one is done really well speaking of you know things that you have to experience while you're reading um i did want to ask y'all about your experience with the l- how they get the letters to one another because I feel like that was the part that hung me up more than anything. And I don't know if it's because I'm this weird combination of a literal and visual thinker or what, but I I found myself often getting hung up on the, um, 
like, oh, this is a six part letter and six different seeds and she eats it and she gets the letter. And okay, how did how does that actually work? Like I got really bogged down in that logical mind. <laughs> it's magic. Stuff. And magic. Yeah, but I don't know. How was that for all of you? I had that same experience at the beginning. Um I, I, I was trying too hard, I think, to figure it out. Yeah. And at some point, I sort of got to the, the personal realization that like, OK, the time travel, like I read a lot of science fiction and, you know, there are a lot of books that explain the time travel mechanics a lot. And this one didn't. And for some reason, that didn't bother me. Like I was able to just roll from the beginning, roll with the fact there were, was no specific explanation for how they actually traveled up and down these these strands and stuff. Um, and somewhere along the line, I realized, oh, OK, maybe if I can let that go and not need to know exactly how they travel from throughout the multiverse, then maybe I can let it go that I don't really understand how they are uh, receiving and sending these letters and absorbing this information. So I, w I definitely understand what you're saying. But at some point, I was able to just sort of let that fall away. And then I was just like, I, I, I guess it just happens. There, there we go. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding the older I get, the less thoroughly I imagine what I'm reading. Like, I don't imagine it as a fully realized film in my head or anything. So I, I don't I don't tend to get hung up on details like that now. Um, if it got in the way of the plot, if it got in the way of the relationship, maybe. I mean, I, I do get I do get hung up on plot details in things, but this was just sort of like, oh, it's a convenient. It's a waving the hands. It's magic. They can read. Great. Let's keep going. Yeah, I mean, like Scott said about Station Eleven, right? Like, yeah, there are two ways to view it, which is that you're reading it for the for the details and how does this world get put together and how does it work, and then there's the the you know this this thing isn't concerned about that and if you want to if you're concerned you're going to get caught up on it but if you if you can just do which i think all of us did be like okay it's it's magic right like or it's it's a detail that this book isn't concerned about and then you kind of let it go and then and then it's fine any technology sufficiently advanced might as well be magic right, so which that's this, just sort of how i read it this book does right. make a point of that right like as we go we're like are these people you know, are these are these human women? Are they robots? What are they? And then, like as you go, you realize, well, they this war is fought not just in our past, but in our far future, in other planets and spaceships and stuff. And like they are, they are a form of life that is is not like us, but can be like us. And you know, but again, it's like not the point. The point is that they have these powers and can appear as monsters or as people and you know that that's just that's just who they are. They're they're these incredibly powerful beings from far in the future who are waging a time war and you don't really need to know more than that. Before we move on to uh books that they've read recently, is it fair to say that everybody here says uh, you should go read this book? Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, Absolute, even if it doesn't yes. sound like it's something, if you've listened all this way and it still doesn't really sound like it's a thing that's for you, I think you should read it anyway, <laughs> because this is also a thing that I would say hmm. is probably one of those things that's not for me, but I got a lot out of it. So oh. give it a try. If, yeah. If you listen this far and you don't think this book is for you, I wonder why you're still listening. Yeah, it is a good question. <laughs> their, their podcast it's, app doesn't have a chapter skip. And, um, and we're charming. Yeah. And they like just they just mm -hmm. like hearing our voices. They're trying to go to oh, sleep. That's sweet. They like us they like talking our about books in terms of food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is just, this podcast that. works with their brain tongue. 
That's uh, <laughs> thanks, Erica. Brain lick it. <laughs> I've pushed this book on people who don't usually read sci-fi, um, but they read romance. I've pushed it on people who read romance and don't really no- normally read sci-fi, and and they've all they've been like, "Thank you for introducing me," because I never would have picked it up. I never would have looked no. at this book. All right, well. Just check out This Is How You Lose the Time War. And now we're going to shift gears and talk about what are you reading in which I ask my panelists about some other books other than this one that uh, that they've read recently and would like to recommend because uh, that's fun. That's how I get a lot of the books that I choose to read next is from hearing about it here. And that means I have to ask Scott McNulty amid the <laughs> diaper changes and midnight feedings and all of oh, that. Man. Uh, are you reading things? <laughs> uh, I I am reading things. Uh, I I've read. In fact, Max Gladstone, who's one of the co-authors of this book, has another book out this year that is his large space opera for five hundred page book. Uh, <laughs> that's called Empress of Forever, which I read and enjoyed. I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed. Uh, this is how you lose the time war or his craft sequence book, which I enjoy a whole lot. Those are good. Uh, yeah. But uh, I did like it. It's fun. It's it's uh, as bonkers as you would imagine it is. If you have read anything by Max Gladstone, um, it, it, it meets expectations, uh, <laughs> which I guess is faint praise. But I expect a lot from him. So it's not so faint of praise. Uh, I also another one of my favorite authors is K.J. Parker, who writes, um, I guess you'd call it grim, dark fantasy, but I don't really like that term. Um, it's 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 low fantasy. There's not a lot of magic in uh, his writing. And he wrote a book called 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City, which is basically uh, about a city that's under siege and and this uh, army uh, officer who has been tasked with fighting the 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 incompetent bureaucracy to save the city, uh, which is kind of a running theme in a lot of KJ Parker's huh. books. Uh, so uh, if you like KJ Parker, you probably already read it, and if you don't, maybe give it a try. Uh, I I read Jason. You will appreciate this. I read The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe. Oh uh, yeah. fairly recently. Which you know, hey Tom Wolfe. Pretty good writer. Pretty, pretty good writer. And the, the uh, test pilots at the dawn of the space age, kind of interesting people to write about. Yes, indeed. So this it was a fascinating book that I don't know why I hadn't read sooner. Uh, it was a really interesting look at how, you know, the astronauts didn't actually want to go into space because they weren't pilots, like they weren't piloting yeah. the spacecraft, which was something I'd never thought of. There were of. no controls on the other, and they're like, you got to put some controls in there because otherwise this is just like put monkeys in it. Exactly. So I thought that was great. Uh, and finally, some a book that a lot of people are talking about that's been marketed as um, lesbian necromancers in space, uh, Gideon the Ninth, which is the first in a series, which does in fact feature uh, a lesbian necromancer. Uh, it's 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 another kind of bonkers. Uh, kind of locked mansion only the mansion's a planet uh, mystery <laughs> that involves uh, several factions coming together to for a mysterious emperor to do things uh, it's really I can't really explain it but it's it's a lot of fun. Tamsin Muir is the writer of Gideon the Night. Yes You had me at lesbian necromancers in space. See? Right? That's how you sell a book, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. The marketing. You, you were speaking derisively of the marketing, and then the, you said the marketing, and everyone went, oh. So I guess it works. It works. Story checks it out. Does. Um, Erica, what are you reading? 
Uh, I am reading... Or have read um, recently. People get confused about yeah. what are you reading and they think it's right now and it's like probably not because you're on a podcast. But things you've read recently <laughs> that, that you've liked, yeah. That would be incredibly rude of me, mm-hmm. so I would not do that. Um, but I have been reading Broken Shadow by Jane Fenn. Um, I actually did a recently read episode about the first book in this series, which is called Hidden Sun. So if you read that book and liked it, this is this is the follow-up. Or um, if you haven't read that book, I recommend it. Uh, the, the, the Shadowlands, there's, there's two different types of place on this world there's there's shadowlands and skylands and only people who are sort of lizard like and have really thick skin can live in the skylands and there's all kinds of politics and feminism and science that's not really science because it's sort of a medieval time and there's a woman who she uh, creates a telescope like she invents it and you know the church looks down on her for that and so like the second book is is a lot more about her dealings with the church and having to go on trial for having heretical views and stuff so if that's your kind of thing i definitely recommend these books um also uh life has been rough lately so i have uh, dived back into some of my my comfort reads. Uh, I reread the books of Sarah Addison Allen anytime I'm having a rough time. So I recently reread Garden Spells, The Sugar Queen, and The Girl Who Chased the Moon, which are her first three books. Uh, I think there are like four or five more after that. And they are not all necessarily, they might be in the same universe, but not maybe not. Uh, it's sort of like low-key supernatural romance but the supernatural stuff is sort of beside the point. And the romance is also sort of beside the point. They're mostly books about women who are learning about themselves and coming to terms with with their life and their experiences. And it's each of the books is really more about a journey that the main character takes to become stronger and more centered in herself. And I think before I did the reread, The, uh, the Sugar Queen was my favorite, but I feel like it hasn't aged as well as I wanted it to. So Garden Spells is now my favorite. So if you're interested in trying one of her books, I would recommend that one. Uh, it's the first Um and it's it's just kind of light and delightful, but very beautifully written. I really like her prose style a lot. Um, and then I haven't actually read it yet, but a couple of things have appeared on my Kobo and or Kindle. Um, the Lights Go Out in Litchford is the new Paul Cornell novella in his series of uh, Litchford novellas, uh, which are like urban fantasy but hold the urban because it's like a a very rural small British town um, but in modern day where there are magical type things happening and they all center around three incredibly well developed uh, women that live in this town one is sort of like an old crank and one is I think she's the the vicar and has gone through some awful stuff and and moved back to town and then there's the the woman who runs like the magic curios shop uh, and at the beginning of the first book she isn't really sure if magic is is actually real but guess what it is mm. um, and the old crank really knows that and is sort of shepherding the the rest of these women along and each one is a novella um, I think Scott was right earlier on when he said the novella is really sort of having its day uh, this this length I feel like is perfect for these kinds of stories and the lights go out in Litchford just dropped like this last week so I'm super excited to dive into it and I know that Paul is currently working on the next one which will be the final one in the series so uh there's like it's perfect timing now to to jump in i may even start from the beginning and reread all of them because they are just so gosh darn good uh also uh i recently found out that there's a new becky chambers novella that just came out 
And I had not known that. Thank you, Amazon Marketing, for sending me an email saying, you like Becky Chambers. This podcast is all brought to you by the power of marketing, which is typical (laughs) of them, right? (laughs) Typical that they bring that to you. I bought that novella yesterday. God, it's really it, good. It's really good. It, okay, yeah, yeah. I read it a couple so, of days ago, yeah. Oh. All right, well, then I won't say anything else about it. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my list. Wow. I, to be taught, if fortunate, is that it? Yeah. That's the one? Yep. All right. Okay. All right. Aline, what are you reading slash have read recently that you would like to recommend? Um, See, it's not as it's I not recommend? as punchy a title if I then amend it with a footnote every time. But there we are. But it's different because there are books that I've been reading that I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Like I've been reading the Zombie Fallout se- series by Mark Tufo, and I enjoy them. But there's a lot that's uh, to pull out a word that not everybody enjoys. There's a lot that's problematic mm. about them, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend them. But they, um, there's some. My mom likes them, and it's something that we can talk about. So I, I like them. For that, um, I've been reading. I started um, Naomi Naomi Novik's um, Dragon series. Um, so I read His Majesty's Dragon a couple weeks ago, and I like it. I don't like it as much as I've liked the other books that we've read for this podcast, but it's pretty good. Um, one thing that I've really, really enjoyed recently was a book of essays by uh, Sachi Cowell Cole uh, called One Day We'll All Be Dead and None of This Will Matter. Um, I'm, I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but I enjoyed that book quite a bit. And... Let me find one more. I was actually going to talk about Becky Chambers's novella. So, yeah, I I enjoyed that so much. I thought it was just excellently done. I mean, as her stuff always is, but really, really, really enjoyed it. And I started the Discworld series last night. Uh-huh. I've never read it. So never read any of them. Where, so. where are you starting with that? Are you starting with... Uh... With the the watch or where 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 did you choose? Because you could uh, sort of starting, like there's a bunch of entry points for that. I think um, the color of magic. Yeah, Ooh, the color of magic. That's the first one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes, the very first one, which yeah, most so. people uh, say you shouldn't start with. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I do tried what you starting want. with that. It didn't go so well. <laughs> yeah, same. Well, if it doesn't work, I know who to come to for. <laughs> I think I started with, start with guards, guards. I think which is the first of the mm. Vimes. I think that's where I started. Cards as well. books and it's good. And um and Lauren would uh highly recommend the Tif- Tiffany Aching. Uh the we and a lot of we people Free Men. Yeah. Ah uh, yeah. That's great. Terry Pratchett. David, what are you reading? What am I reading? Well, I just pounded through the two most recent Daniel Silva uh spy novels featuring Gabriel Allen, paint restorer and Israeli spy. Huh. Uh which are really, really good. Um, they're, you know, they're a little formulaic by this point, but if you enjoy the characters and you enjoy the spy craft, they're, they're solid. Um, I am also reading, uh, cause I'm writing right now. So I'm in nonfiction reading mode and I'm reading walk tall, the life of cannonball Adderley, the jazz musician, uh, which is fascinating. It might turn into research. We'll see. And I'm also reading, uh, when I need something a little lighter, Iowade on Iowade by Richard Iowade. Uh, you'd know him as Moss from the IT crowd, mm-hmm. or you might know him from Travel Man, which if you don't know Travel Man, go to Hulu. It's there. It's it's on other streaming services around the world. Or The Big Fat Quiz, which is all over YouTube. Um, it's basically Richard Iowade being really, really weird, and it's very funny. Um 
basically it's it's a profile of himself as if he's interviewing himself as a separate person who is also himself hmm. it's a little nuts um and uh the the two things that are sitting there waiting for me when i finished this writing uh it's a a, a large book called the empress of forever by max gladstone hey, I read that. and it's, yeah <laughs> and um the other one that I'm that I've I've been looking forward to for a little while now, um, because of the incomparable, I read The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern eons ago, and her new novel is finally out. It's called The Starless Sea, and it looks and sounds at least as magical as The Night Circus. So, all right, looking I've got, looking I've got that to one that. on my list too of of to be read on my to be read read pile. Uh, for me, so on our Hugo episode i mentioned that i had read one of the nominees and liked it a lot which was beneath the sugar sky by shauna mcguire and the problem with it is that it's book or it's novel novella number three and again with the novellas of a (laughs) series but i draw i started with number three and i really liked it and it's the premise of like all the kids who fall through doorways into magical worlds but some of them get kicked back to earth and they want to go back but they can't go back so they're stuck in this school that's basically full of sad kids who wish they could go back um i read every heart of doorway which is the first book in that series and i'm Mm -hmm. happy to report it's great and, yes. and that's a great yes, series, is. and I highly recommend all of it. Uh, Down Among the Sticks and Bones is book two. I have not read that yet, but uh, I've read book three, which I really liked. And <laughs> uh, so I uh, definitely recommend that. Um, that's good stuff. I read a uh, space opera novel called Empire of Silence by uh, Christopher Ruocchio. Oh, that's good. And mm. it is it is good. It, it, it reminds me a lot of the name of the wind in that it's a Hmm. book that starts telling you how the person you're whose biography or autobiography you're about to read is a an incredibly important person who did amazing things and let's start by hearing how he started out and then you read a thousand pages and he's still (laughs) starting out um Empire Silence is the same deal. It's it's like uh, he was the sun eater and he actually ate a sun. Yes, he did. He ate a sun. He destroyed a sun. He laid waste to solar systems. Uh, let's tell you about when he got stuck on a planet for a long time. And that like that's it. It's great. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, it's going to be like 15 books before you get to the end of the story if you keep going at this pace. So a little frustrating, <laughs> but really good, really good kind of space opera slash fantasy because when you're stuck on a planet, a crappy planet, and you can't get off, it's not that space opera anymore, but um, <laughs> but I liked it a lot. I thought it was good. I, I haven't read the next one yet because I have to admit I peeked to see what the next one is about. And again, it's sort of like the incrementally further adventures of this guy, but but a good book. Um, speaking of space opera, I loved John Birmingham's The Cruel Stars, which is a space opera novel about as it's as widescreen space opera as you want it to be. There are the plot is basically that there was a war and there were there were these basically human supremacist Nazis who got kicked out of the galaxy. Um, and then they they after decades away, they come back. And they're going to try to take everything over again. And the only one who can stop them is this this really cranky retired Scottish professor who turns out to be the man who stopped them the last time. And he's been biding his time because he, unlike anyone else, 
he knew they were going to come back. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And there's a bunch of other characters. It's one of these things where there's like six different characters and you cycle through them and then halfway through half of them meet and then then more of them meet and you're like, oh, all my friends are coming together and it's fun. So (laughs) John Birmingham's goal is uh, to write books that you enjoy on airplanes. And uh, and and he is just delightful. He is. He's a lovely guy. I have liked a lot of his stuff, but this is uh, this is next level for him. I think this is uh, a it's good. Good, uh, Excellent. good space opera. Um, I enjoyed James S. A. Corey's Oberon, the, the latest Expanse novella, which I just read. Um, not essential, but I think nice in describing the political dynamics of the setup of the later books of the Expanse mm. novels. In terms of, it is about a a uh, how do I do this without without giving too much away? It is about a a representative of a group that has recently taken power being sent to a, a location. <laughs> wow. I feel like I'm playing TLDR here sent to a location, uh, to, to, uh, be its military governor, uh, in charge of a population that does not welcome the people who are now in charge or think they are in charge. And, uh, it's short and, uh, I enjoyed it. It is, uh, it's just, again, would I have cared so much if it wasn't set in the world of the expanse? Probably not. But, uh, for that, it was, uh, it was good. And then finally, I am going to do my usual thing, which is similar to David's, which is, uh, mention a nonfiction book that I really enjoyed. It's the, the life and afterlife of Harry Houdini <gasps> yes. by Joe Posnanski, who is a sports writer. This is his first book that is not about sports. It is fascinating because it's not just about Harry Houdini, but it's about why, a century almost after his death, he is referred to in our popular culture every day. Every day. You can't read this book and then you will see the Houdini references all around us. And the question is, what is it about magic and about escape and about wonder that leads to this weird character from the early part of the 20th century being to this day a part of our world. Um, and it's a, it's a great read because Joe Pistansky is a really good writer. So yeah. it's an excellent book. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. of fun. I, my power went out for three days and I read that book. <laughs> so I spent one day, I just read that book. That was, uh, that was great. Yeah. That's what I'm reading. Oh my God. I completely forgot to mention that I am rereading Julian May's saga of Pleiocene exile. And I am just about done with the adversary, the last book in that series for an uh, upcoming podcast project. Way way to forward promote. Yes. There, there is a future Uh uh, podcast coming out that you, you, you and your compatriot are reading all the books and talking about them. Mm And storing it all up. Lisa Schmeiser and I are, are wow. Like, yeah. Rereading Rereading something from so long ago is quite the trip. Let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And also, it wouldn't be yeah. what if you what are you reading without somebody saying, "Oh, oh, oh!" I didn't mention at the end. So thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs> it's part of the format now. Well, we have reached the end. Uh, books are good. You should read books. Uh, maybe some of the books we mentioned here. How about that? Uh, now I would like to thank my guests for being here, Aline Sims. Thank you very much. Thank you, David J. Lore. I have. Uh, sent your thank you in an acorn inside a squirrel. So tear the squirrel apart and read my notes, (laughs) I guess. I got the one that was inside the bear, so thank you. You're welcome. Erica Ensign, thank you. I would like to just think of myself now as purple. (laughs) Aw. You're a fusion. And and Scott, I don't know if you knew this, but this is how you lost the time war. Or did I? Oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) But when I was very young, an old man came to me and he said, 
read books, kid. And that man that old man was just a crazy old man. It wasn't Scott McNulty <laughs> at all. Because nope. time travel isn't real. Anyway, uh, thank you to all of you who are listening to the book club. We love you. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of The Incomparable next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.